This week, we've got a fantastic show lined up for you. Of course, Ronnie Flathers from Uptake Technologies will be coming on the show to talk about some active directory hacking and such, which will be awesome. Um, let's see. After that, uh, Chris LG. LG? 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 Let's LG, ask him. Chris. Chris and Lee are coming on the show. Well, Lee's last name is Ford. Lee Ford. I mean, that's pretty easy. Uh, Chris and Lee are coming on the show. They're in the Massachusetts Army National Guard, and uh, they are conducting some cyber exercises. Not like those kind of exercises, but cyber exercises, uh, and they'll be coming on to talk about that. In the security news for this week, uh, Git has a big vulnerability. Uh, There is (coughs) is the irony of uh, companies that conduct surveys, which will be very interesting. Uh, Building blocks for a threat hunting program. Uh, What is Apple hiding now? Um, And a judge tosses out Kaspersky Lab suits against the U.S. government ban. Resetting your router or rebooting your router, which is it? We're going to dig into that. All that and more on this edition of Paul Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Welcome. Does Larry have an introduction? Hi, everyone. This is Paul Asador, and I guess I'm, I'm introducing... <laughs> Apparently, I no longer do. Okay. <laughs> wow, and I look short. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I accidentally uh, landed in New England and uh, stumbled my way to the G-Unit studio. That's pretty much how I envisioned it happening. Yeah. Job. <laughs> Carlos, ha- save the show, please. <laughs> yes, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> it cannot be saved. Uh, well, it's good to have you back, Carlos. Jeff, welcome. Nice to have you in studio. It's great to be here, Paul. Try to stay awake for the whole episode. <laughs> yes. We've been in studio dropping his phone Where? incessantly while we're chatting. What? Where? Oh, hey. I'm, I'm in the studio with you guys. That's kind of cool. Um, NetSparker, the developers of desktop and cloud-based web application security scanners that enable you to automatically identify vulnerabilities in your web applications and web services. NetSparker scanners employ a unique and dead-accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities with their proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at netsparker.com or email at contact at netsparker.com. In 2017, an increasing number of companies reported they did not have effective insider threat detection methods. Logarithm's UEBA solutions enable you to detect and neutralize user-based threats in real time, while built-in scenario and behavior-based analytics empower you to expose insider threats, compromised accounts, and privilege misuse. Visit Logarithm.com to learn how their UEBA solutions can help you expand visibility and enhance detection capabilities. And now, here he is in the first ever GDPR compliance show. A, a person? It's Paul Asadorian. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Paul Security Weekly. I am, of course, your host, Paul Asadorian. Very excited for the show this evening. I like the I like the set we got going this on. Patrick Laverty's nice. here in studio. Hey, Paul. It's awesome. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. This is going to be a lot of fun. I kind I kind of like sitting at these high tables. I don't know. I I'm I'm kind of digging it. You can't really. I don't know if they have a wide shot set up yet. But <clears throat> You're taller than me though. 
Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just scooching, scooching. Uh, I, I noticed that I keep to... accidentally spinning. I'm gonna end up like backwards or something. I know, right? You got don't spin too much. Okay, getting the uh, spins <coughs> on the lines via Skype. Mr. Joff Thayer is here with us. Joff, welcome. G'day, Paul. It's good to be here again on this lovely Thursday evening. It's good to see you guys at the new studio set with your high tables. Although you've got to be careful, though. You've got to put something on in terms of pants. Right? Yes. No working without pants at that high table. Uh, behind the other set uh, for like hack naked news, there's actually a urinal right, right on, right underneath, which is convenient. Oh, oh, it just is convenient. Fantastic. Allows, yeah, you know, convenience is always good. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I, I think it flows right like into Mark's desk, but you know, it's d- <laughs> details, details. Uh, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, hey, SERI. Have you heard of that conference, Patrick? I, I think I have. Okay. I'm really looking forward to that. Patrick is the organizer. Yes, everyone. Patrick yes. Lavi- Laverty is the organizer. I am the organizer with Lee Snyder. With Lee Snyder. And so if you're wondering who those people are, they're the organizers. I used to work with them. I know them. Yes, it's Rhode Island. I know them. I've worked with them. It should come as no surprise because it's Rhode Island. So everyone asking me that, now you know that they're good people and you should just come to the conference and stop asking me who's running it and if I know them. So now that we've cleared the air on, uh, air on that, I can't talk tonight. I have a sore throat. <laughs> getting it cold. It's terrible. Terrible. Um, what was I going to say? I did a lot of cold medicine, apparently. <laughs> More than maybe I should have. <laughs> um, have another one. Uh, June 16th. That's right. I remember that because the day after that is my anniversary. Very my, nice. wedding, my wedding anniversary. So you can celebrate at the conference. So yes, uh, which we were going to actually uh, celebrate more, but my son has a school play. Okay, we have to be home for that. So See if I can. don't know if I remember it as like I remember my anniversary and the conference is the day before, or I remember that it's the conference and the next day is my anniversary. <laughs> we'll I'm not you. quite sure. I know I've got both those dates correct so far, and I haven't screwed it up too yep. bad. So we'll make sure we remind you. So yeah, if anybody wants to check it out, se-ri.org. And if you want to get my wife and I a gift, you can send the... No, I'm just kidding. Um, he's, so, not, he's not kidding. I'm, I'm really not kidding. Cigars and booze. My wife loves it. It'll be great. Um, so, hey, interview with Ronnie Flathers. Ronnie is yes. an experienced penetration tester. Patrick, do you want to uh, introduce Ronnie? Uh, because you recommended him on the show. You Were you at a conference that you saw him present? Or you were just stalking him? I think he was stalking you, you online, Ronnie. I'd be kind of scared. I don't know. Anyway. I'll, I'll allow it. Well, uh, kind of actually a little bit because I've been reading Ronnie's blog for, I don't know, probably at least a year because I'm kind You're of- You're a fanboy. I am. That's why I was so excited when I heard about this. <laughs> Ronnie, did you know that you had fanboys? I, I didn't know I had a fanboy, let alone multiple fanboys. There you go. That's incredible. Thank I, you. Well, I got to come up with a name for this, like a, a, a Robnopite or something. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta see what we can do. Yeah, so uh, I've been checking out Ronnie's because I'm kind of a relatively new pen tester. Been, been do- checking you out for a while, yeah. Ronnie. Be careful. Ooh, all right. <laughs> been doing this for about uh, two years or so with the pen testing. Always looking to find new information, looking to learn. And Ronnie's blog just was one of those things that kind of jumped out as having <laughs> lots of great information. That uh, and Ronnie can probably tell us more about his. What's his, his What's his blog? It's uh, is it ropnop.com? Uh, blog.ropnop.com. There we go. There you go. Yeah, and then a couple of weeks ago, he gave an incredible presentation at ThoughtCon. Did you go to ThoughtCon? I didn't, Oh, unfortunately. you just watched the video? Uh, th- actually, there's no video. Oh, that, so how did you know that 
that's how good this presentation oh, was. Oh, you think through put, osmosis? He put his slides out, and everybody's raving about the slides. Uh, yeah, imagine yes, that. You yes. you gave a presentation that's so good, you only have to put out the slides, and people rave about it. So I said, Paul, we got to get Ronnie on the show. That's awesome. Ronnie, welcome to Paul Security Weekly. Hey, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Um, and, and thanks for the kind words. That really means a lot. So, uh Ronnie, why don't you set the stage? Um, I know we, we talked about you covering a, a portion because the full presentation that uh, Patrick was referring to is 120 or 140 slides, something like, like that? Yeah, yeah. It was a two-hour time slot at, at ThoughtCon, one of the TrackX workshops. So I had an opportunity to dive deeper into a lot of the topics that I really wanted to talk about um, as opposed to just sort of like a 30-minute or 45-minute talk that you might see at a normal conference. I gotcha. Yeah, and here you got like, 20 25 minutes maybe <laughs> so <laughs> we've selected some topics uh what and so what uh topics have you decided to kind of uh pull out and and discuss for our audience today well yeah hopefully i, I kind of touch on um the three main things the talk was called fun with ldap kerberos and msrpc in ad environments um and it being a much more longer format i really wanted it to be sort of a 101 class for people who might be wanting to get into ad pen testing talk about uh a lot of the background of these protocols, the technologies that Active Directory is built on, and then show off some cool tools, techniques, things that I've picked up over the years. Um, so yeah, I, I can try to do a, a quick, short, really condensed version and show a little bit of uh, using MSRPC, using LDAP, and using Kerberos, um, and maybe try to get through that and, and then take some questions or happy to talk more. Be awesome. Uh, all right, should I, uh, let me see if I can yeah, share my screen, screen here. Yeah, and I Whoa. thought one of the interesting Whoa. things it's, that I think you'll probably touch on in the very beginning, right, is that you don't need Windows to attack Windows. The, the, the yeah. Linux provides you a really good stack for, for doing that today, which wasn't necessarily always the case, as far as I remember. No, exactly, yeah. A lot of times you think um, Windows, it's all proprietary stuff, proprietary protocols, um, and a lot of the, the suites of tools that are out there right now, like Bloodhound, PowerView, um, they're using PowerShell under the hood. Uh, but the truth is you really don't need Windows to talk to Windows because Active Directory is built on a lot of open protocols, um, particularly LDAP, you know, Kerberos, and DNS. Um, so some of the things I talked about and what I did throughout my, my talk was I only used Kali Linux. And I did everything from Kali Linux just showing um, you don't have to use Windows. You can use any sort of tool you want. And being manual really lets you be more creative when you're doing these types of things. So I'm a big Python fanboy, so it was a lot easier for me to do some of the stuff I wanted in Python as opposed to having to get you know access to a Windows machine and then using PowerShell. Mm. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, like uh, what I'll run through here is just a little bit of uh, MSRPC, LDAP, and Kerberos. Um, the slides are posted uh, online. Um, I tried to make the slides as standalone as possible so they could almost be like a cheat sheet. There's definitely a lot more information in there, and I'm going to kind of just do a, a quick high-level overview here of, of some of the things that I talked about at the workshop. Um, so starting with MSRPC, uh, a lot of pen test tools use MSRPC under the hood, and the reason we love admin privileges so much is the explicit RPC calls that are needed to execute code um, remotely require admin privileges. So CrackMap Exec, for example, a great tool, shouts out a little pwned if you have admin because it knows that it can remotely execute code with those privileges. Uh, but a lot of pen testers get frustrated if they don't have admin privileges or they aren't quite sure what to do. So I showed that uh, a lot of RPC calls that don't require admin privileges can also have uh, like a ton of good information for enumeration. Um, so for example, SAMR or LSA RPC are RPC calls that 
don't necessarily require admin privileges, um, but can be used to enumerate users, group memberships, objects within Active Directory. Uh, so one thing I showed was using RPC client, uh, awesome tool, part of the Samba suite that's built into Linux. And you can um, talk to the named pipes and discuss or talk RPC, MSRPC uh, from Linux when you have credentials. And this is a non-admin user I'm using here. And through a combination of a few special RPC calls, you can actually enumerate who are members of the local admins group on that machine you're talking to. And this is awesome when you're targeting machines or you have a set of credentials, but you don't quite know where to go yet. Um, you can use RPC calls to figure out, well, who are members of that local admin group? Because if I can compromise their credentials, I know I can come back and revisit this machine and pop a shell on it. So uh, one of the things that I demoed was uh, adding some new logic into NTLM Relay X, which is an awesome tool from Impacket um, that does NTLM Relay attacks. But by default, NTLM Relay X uh, tries to launch commands, like do a PowerShell one-liner stager or something like that. And if you don't have admin privileges, it just aborts, it just bails. Uh, so knowing that I could do unprivileged RPC calls, I wrote some Python Impacket code that uh, now add some logic. So if a relay attack fails and you don't get like that PowerShell one-liner command to execute, uh, you can actually enumerate who the local admins are on that machine, uh, as well as perform a RID cycle brute force against the machine and enumerate like every single domain user or every single domain object in that domain. So I'll show a quick demo video of that and then I guess I'll pause um, and we can talk about that a little bit more. Sounds good. So on the left here, I'm running Responder, a uh, really standard pen test tool. And on the right, I'm running NTLM Relay X against the targets file. And I'm trying to execute a PowerShell one-liner, um, but I've also specified the new options that I wrote in. So if this PowerShell command fails because I don't catch a re an admin hash, you can see that it actually went ahead and enumerated who the local admin members are for me on that host. Uh, and it also performed in a couple seconds a RID cycle attack and was able to enumerate uh, 2,688 domain SIDs. So from an attacker perspective, just dropping on a network with absolutely zero knowledge and zero privileges, um, firing up Responder with NTLM Relay X uh, can get you a lot of information. And had I gotten lucky and caught a domain, or sorry, an admin hash, I could have just executed that PowerShell one-liner and popped a meterpreter shell. Uh, but here I'm just showing with from zero to having a full list of domain users and then figuring out who those local admins are on the machines that I'm targeting. Um, and that's just a couple lines of Python and really under the hood doing MSRPC calls that don't require any special privileges. That's awesome. I'm Jarlin. Patrick, questions, comments? No, I'm just sitting back and amazing. Cool. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, yeah. I'm right there with you. I mean, it's, it's, it's really nice. It's it's an attack surface that I don't think is is explored enough, and uh, I'm really I'm really glad that 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 you're digging in. So, yeah, I, I love this stuff, and and I got to give a ton of credit to Impacket, uh, who wrote like uh, you know Alberto Salino, who wrote the uh, MSRPC stack in Python. It gives you so much flexibility. So any RPC, MSRPC calls you can look up and read about in MSDN, you can call from Python with Impacket. Uh, and it gives you so much flexibility, and there's still a lot of really cool stuff that, like you were saying, can be discovered and played around with here. Ronnie, can yeah. you just do me a favor and make your slides full screen? Yep. Thanks. And Ronnie, you said you uh, wrote some code for that. Where can people get your code for that? So I 
This code specifically was a branch of NTLM Relay X, which is part of Impacket. Um, so the link on here links to my fork of it um, and that branch. Since these slides came out, uh, I issued a PR to NTLM Relay X, and the Enum local admins option has been merged into master. So if you pull down the latest version of Impacket Master, the uh, Enum local admins option will still be on there. Um, the, the RID cycle option was not added, uh, but it's still super easy to do with Impacket. NTLM Relay X actually has a feature where it can open a SOX proxy connection for SMB relayed sessions. Uh, and then there's a different Impacket script that was already part of Impacket for domain SIDs um, that can be run through that SOX proxy. So that, that the reason why that, that was just not added, but the enum local admins was new code that had been added now into the master version of NTLM RelayX. I'm going to have to make sure I go update. Yeah, I think I just saw too on Twitter, he cut a new release. So if you're not on Bleeding Edge, you can pull down the latest like 0 0.9, 0 0.17 or something like that. That should have it. Great. Awesome. Hey, so Ron, what, what, what stimulated you going down this path and developing this code was it was it the fact that you were in a pen test situation uh, with yeah. only a Linux system? Is that is that really where you started? Yeah, that's it's pretty common for me to do a lot of pen tests, or it had was pretty common. Um, I spent years doing internal pen tests um, for for NeoHapsis and for Cisco, and I loved working with Linux. I was just really comfortable with it. I liked doing all the command line stuff from either Kali Linux or just a Linux machine that I brought. Uh, so starting from nothing, plugging into an internal network, getting an IP address, and then starting to scan and go wild on that network, uh, I really tried to do as much as I could from Linux and just got used to it. Uh, so I mean, I know a lot of a lot of pen testers will also have a Windows box on them, and will do a lot of enumeration through PowerShell. Um, but before you even get that foothold, if all you have is a Linux machine, sometimes that's all you have, uh, and so you have to be able to do this too. For example, if you like came in through a, a web shell on a web server or you know, popped a printer or an aquarium, uh, you might you might just drop into like a Linux kernel shell that's on the network and have to go through that. Cool, because sure. Ronnie, if yeah. I can uh, recap that a little bit, I, what you were doing there is with no credentials, no access or anything like that, you were able to at least get a list of, of, uh, of users. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you can use that that list of all those valid users and do like a password spray attack, which I talked about also, um, and, and I have some slides coming up about how you can use Kerberos for that. Uh, but it's a it's an old, uh, actually like an old technique. It's RID enumeration or RID brute forcing. Uh, you, it was really common when uh, null sessions were around, but most modern versions of Windows don't have null sessions anymore. Uh, but the technique still works beautifully if you can get an unprivileged authenticated session. Great. Yeah, because one of the things that, uh, you know, when I'm starting in the in the testing that often kind of slows things down a little bit is just having that that list of users. It's it's certainly nice when you have the, the null session enumeration. And you can just go mm -hmm. straight to the domain controller and say, give me all your users or even the one that I remember had a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the uh, d directory listing for the company. It was kind of nice. It just went right to the company's <laughs> website, put an at in the rest of their their domain and it gave Wait, me. Are null sessions still a thing? They but are. But they're not NetBIOS uh, net null sessions. The, or on the domain, yeah, on the domain controller. But the domain controller is that is that is that a NetBIOS call to get the, like the paper I 
article I wrote years ago. And when I used to search for NetBIOS Null Sessions, I'd get my own damn article every single time. Yep. No matter what information, I'm like, I want more than my own article. I, I even remember one day yeah. when you were running around screaming about Null Sessions, and I'm yeah. like, what is Paul talking about? And, then, but, and that's why I had to write the article. Right, and that was like 15 years ago or so. It, yeah. And this is still yeah. a thing. Does it still come up on Google? All right, Ronnie, continue. I, I've no, still I'm curious. seen them. I've still seen them, like as recently as a year ago on, on oh my some God. old, you know, Windows servers that are around, and for whatever legacy reason, they still have it enabled. Um, and so it's not still, unfortunately, you can see it. If you have a null session, you can run with it. If you don't have a null session, you can do a technique kind of like this. Awesome. Um, so carry on, Ronnie. Yeah, sure. Uh, so the next thing I talked about was LDAP. Um, and I feel like LDAP is a really underutilized uh, reconnaissance and enumeration technique in Active Directory. Uh, Active Directory is built, I mean, on top of LDAP, and LDAP is what keeps track of every single object in Active Directory, and every single object has attributes. And since LDAP is an open standard, there's tons of tools that can talk LDAP. So I use LDAP search from, uh, which is built into Linux or OSX, and just through LDAP search command line queries. Uh, through authenticated binds. So most of these require now I have credentials. Um, you can enumerate every single LDAP object and all the attributes for it. So I just wanted to make people aware that that LDAP is, is underneath the hood of Active Directory and you can talk LDAP to it. So this is an example of an LDAP entry for an AD user, uh, Trevor Hoffman. And just I bolded some of the more interesting attributes that are at our fingertips when we start looking at this LDAP information. Um, we can see, of course, all his personal information, surname, given name, um, but we can see when the account was created, when it was changed. We can see what groups the user is a member of, uh, the bad password count or how many, bad how many times he's failed to log in, and when that happened, last log off, last log on, when his password was last set, these are timestamps, uh, as well as his, um, how many times he's logged on or what his SAM account name is. So these, this is all readily available if you're able to make authenticated LDAP queries, and you can do this for any user in the domain. Um, and LDAP is really powerful and has a lot of awesome filters that if you know what you're looking for and how to tweak it, you can pull down all this information and pretty much map out the entire Active Directory domain. That's awesome. So a couple examples of why I just wanted to show how powerful this is uh, or how powerful LDAP can be. If you look at the, top, the picture on the top left, if, if I'm on a machine and I run like netgroup domain admin slash domain, which is pretty standard, like reconnaissance, drop into a window shell, let's try seeing who the domain admins are. It might look like there's only two domain admins, the built-in administrator account and a green. Um, but through some LDAP filters and recursive LDAP lookups, uh, we can actually find all the nested domain admins, meaning users who are part of groups and that group is part of, say, another group, and that group eventually is part of the domain admins group. Um, so this is the exact same domain, but in the bottom one, I'm running an LDAP search query uh, with, a special, um, with a special filter uh, that will do recursive lookups on every attribute to see if they bubble up to be a domain admin. And you can see there's actually 13 users who have domain admin privileges in this domain. So you can't just necessarily rely on the net group or the net user commands. Uh, LDAP is the source of truth, and you can use tools like LDAP search to talk to it. And this whole nested group thing is, is also similar to uh, another tool that I think you mentioned at the beginning, uh, Bloodhound, where it's able to kind of go through and, and find some of these nested groups and, and uh, find different ways to, to get the domain administrator access. 
Oh yeah, the, 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 those guys that, uh, who maintain Bloodhound are doing some awesome, awesome research that's, that's constantly impressing me. Um, and it's not just nested groups, they're finding like nested privileges, like certain specific privileges that you can have in a domain that could all ultimately end up bubbling up into being full domain admin or full enterprise admin. So yeah, and, and one of the things I stressed early on in this talk was, you know, these tools are awesome, but for me, I like to know what's going on under the hood. So Bloodhound is doing a lot of LDAP queries just like this under the hood. Here I am just showing how to do it manually because it helps me kind of understand and see how these things are working. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying about all the different ways that you can kind of get this access. Um, I had one last week that was actually confusing me a little bit as well because uh, I was doing an external network penetration test and somehow I was kind of able to guess one user's password and then sure enough, once I was able to get through the VPN and get inside, I just kind of sprayed it around. And sure enough, I got the was using CrackMap exec and get that little mm -hmm. uh, pwned on a domain controller, which I thought this is pretty incredible <laughs> that I was able to guess a, a domain admin's password. And it turned out the person wasn't a domain admin. It just turned out that this person was a member of the group that had administrator access to a domain controller. It's kind of crazy when you see the way that some of these things kind of get mapped and sometimes you get lucky in, yep. in the type of access that you can get to uh, the, the privileged machines. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think these tools are great too for blue teams and organizations because they, that might not be readily apparent to them when they're just looking at their group memberships. Um, but identifying these types of things, you know, I've, I've had lots of pen test reports where I've written up similar findings and I'm like, so-and-so is a domain admin. And they're like, no, they're not. How? And then they look, and sure enough, they were. And it took using a tool like this or using like a red team tool to actually identify that. Yeah, when you kind of go through and you, you show them, like, you have all these other groups that have administrator access on a mm -hmm. domain controller. These are probably not people that you want to have that level of access because I bet those people don't even know that they have that level of access and the kind of damage that can happen. And I'm guessing those kind of things just kind of get set up accidentally and forgotten about. Yep, exactly. So another, uh, just a quick example, something that was cool I discovered when I was digging down the LDAP rabbit hole um, was there's actually an LDAP attribute that I read about on MSDN that was called admin count. And when Windows uh, uh, protects a certain object because it has admin privileges, it flags this attribute to be equal to one. Um, so from the MSDN documents, you can see that this admin count indicates that the object has had its ACLs changed to be more secure because it's a member of one of the administrative groups. From sort of a red team or pen test perspective, this is super, super useful because the fact that that's an attribute means that we can just really easily filter on it. So this is an example LDAP search query, and I'm only filtering for things that come back with admin count equals one. And Windows is now telling me these are all the objects that I've protected because somehow or another they're part of admin groups. And then spitting it right out would be every single object or every single user or group that is a high value target for me to go after. That's great. And of course, after doing it manually, I wanted to automate it. Um, so this was a tool that I actually had written last year, uh, which is just a Python LDAP wrapper script um, called WinDAP search. And a bunch of my favorite LDAP search queries, I just converted to Python uh, and put a few command line options in there. So with this tool, you can enumerate every user, every group. You can search for members of groups. Um, you can also identify computers. That I didn't, one thing I didn't mention was LDAP objects that are computers. 
have really valuable attributes that can tell you the exact operating system and version number so you know what the patch level is just through LDAP queries, uh, as well as all the recursive domain admin lookups and fuzzy searching for different objects. Awesome. So the last thing that I, I did in the presentation was talk about Kerberos. And Kerberos is can be really confusing. I still haven't fully wrapped my head every time I look around. Every time I dig into the RFC, I get lost. Um, but Ronnie, I think around, that I think that's everyone. Just <laughs> in case you're wondering, yeah. I, yeah, I, I'll it's, plus it's, one. It's like that there's one. something yeah. new I learn about yeah. Kerberos every single day. Yeah, um, pretty much. But there's there's really a lot of cool uh, cool things you can do with Kerberos. And on the surface, it's really not that complicated if you just look at it like an SSO provider. Um, I think I've helped a lot of people explaining it as in it's sort of like the precursor to SAML or OpenID. If you're familiar with how SSO works on like the web when you visit one place and it redirects you a few times and all of a sudden you're logged in, it's kind of how Kerberos works with tickets. It was just like the OG SSO. Um, but What's great about Kerberos is since it is open and compatible, we can configure Linux to talk to Windows Kerberos. Uh, so I walked through in a few slides how to configure that. Um, this is something I do on any pen test that I would, might land on is configure my attack machine to actually talk to the domain controller and be able to authenticate with Kerberos. So just configuring um, Kerberos.conf or curb5.conf, uh, so configuring DNS and syncing the time, what you can end up doing is using the Kerberos utilities to authenticate as a valid AD user. So say you have credentials, we can check out tickets and all this Kerberos magic will work on Linux. And there's a bunch of tools that actually have Kerberos support. So I walked through a couple examples like SMB client or RPC client can work with Kerberos. So if you have it configured and you K in it and check out a Kerberos ticket, you don't need to supply your password and you can do Kerberos authentication with these tools. Uh, similar with similarly with Impacket, all the Impacket scripts can support Kerberos just right out of the box. Um, so you can get Kerberos tickets and do all Kerberos authentication to launch your shells with like PSExec or WMyExec. From an attacker perspective, it's really useful if NTLM auth is ever disabled. Uh, personally, I've never seen an organization be able to fully get rid of NTLM. But if a lot of machines are locked down and NTLM auth isn't uh, enabled, most of the standard pen test tools like Metasploit or CrackMap Exec will just flat out fail because they don't they don't talk Kerberos, they only do NTLM. So if you see an error message that says like status not supported, um, meaning NTLM auth is not supported, if you have a password, you can also just configure your Kali Linux machine to use that password to get a Kerberos ticket and then use the Kerberos ticket to authenticate and it'll work and you'll get past that. And you can also brute force on in Kerberos, correct? Yep. So that, that, that's actually the last thing I talked about with Kerberos. Um, when I was going down that path of just looking into what could be done with Kerberos, um, I started trying to figure out, given you know a, a huge list of users, what's the fastest or best way I can do some brute forcing or horizontal password spraying? Uh, so this is an example of doing it with SMB or RPC. Uh, it's really noisy and it generates a lot of traffic. But if you do it with Kerberos, uh, and you just try checking out a ticket, it actually is only two frames, and it's all over UDP. Uh, it just sends one UDP frame with an encrypted uh, nonce, and one UDP frame response will tell you if that password is good or not. And this is actually pre-authentication. Um, so I wrote a bash script uh, that will just 
do horizontal brute forcing with Kerberos K in it uh, against the domain controller. And it's much, much faster than trying to do it with like SMB or RDP. Uh, it still will lock out accounts. It does count as a failed logon attempt, um, but it's a really quick way to try to find valid passwords um, by doing this K in it. And the great thing, or you know, great thing for an attacker is <laughs> it may be stealthier. <laughs> for us pen testers. Yeah, for us pen testers, um, as I was testing, I found out that, that these Kerberos pre-authentication failures, so even though I'm blasting it with like 1,500 failed Kerberos attempts, um, they don't actually trigger the standard failure logon event of 4625. So that if an organization is only monitoring for like uh, account failed to log on or a failure of a logon event, it misses all of this Kerberos traffic. Uh, there's a different part in the policy that you have to explicitly enable for Kerberos authentication failures, and then you'll actually get different um, event IDs 4771 in your logs. Now, I like I like that finding, right? I mean, that's that's actually really quite useful. Um, I'd like to see the same uh, K-init kind of tool uh, in the Windows side, to be honest. that that's That's a very useful thing, right? Because uh, password spraying... I think you called it a horizontal uh, yep. attempt, but um, you know, password spraying is something that, that just about every pen tester does, right? So, uh, not yep. generating events while you're spraying, very, very useful. Yeah, if and I've I've had a lot of people when I've when I've presented these slides or talked about this, um, come up to me and say, "Oh my gosh, our organization was not logging Kerberos failure events. Like we could have missed this." Uh, so this is sort of a blue team PSA. Um, make sure you're logging for all Kerberos traffic uh, because if you're only looking at event ID 4625, which unfortunately, if you Google like how to how to capture logs or detect a, a brute force accounts in Windows, they almost all only point to event ID 4625. So this is definitely a, a different method or different approach to doing it that everyone should be aware about. And Ronnie, is the event ID 4771 enabled by default? Um, nothing's in it. Neither of these are enabled by, like, if you just installed a DC from scratch, um, neither of them would be enabled by default. Uh, but when you Google, like, how to, you know, basic um, login or policies to look up to detect password brute force attacks, um, a lot of times they don't mention event ID 4771 and only talk about 4625. Cool. And is this brute forcing over Kerberos is pretty common practice for pen testers today? Or it will be now. Or like how, <laughs> how widespread yeah. was that? <clears throat> to be honest, I hadn't I hadn't ever read about it or done it before until I kind of played around and wrote the Bash script. Uh, so I'm not sure if if you know real real attackers in the wild have been doing it for a while, um, or if anyone else had really looked at it. Uh, hmm. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Because what Ronnie's showing here is obviously pretty stealthy that it's going to be quiet on the network and it's not going to be picked up quite as often. Be, uh, often when I'm doing these kind of pen tests, I'll, I'll tell them, like, if you're going to make this into a an, an exercise where you're trying to catch me, mm -hmm. you're going to catch me pretty quick because I'm going to be noisy. I'm, I'm going to tell them that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm throwing lots of traffic through your network. This is a penetration test. If you want to have a detection exercise, that's something different. That's a little bit yeah. more of the red team engagement. I think that what Ron is showing here would be awesome for a red team engagement. It's certainly going to be good for a pen test as well. You could certainly do that. Uh, but it's also faster. Yep. Okay. There we go. There's another benefit. Mm. That's nice. Awesome. Any final yep. questions for, for Ronnie? <clears throat> oh. 
No, I, you know, the, the, the only thing that I can say, Ronnie, is uh, the Kerberos side uh, is, is something to continue um, hacking on a little bit. I, I like what you've done there uh, because um, too many of us are, are fixated on NTLM. And, uh, you know, that's that's a whole different attack surface. Right. So it's, it's good to have that. Yeah. And there's there's definitely some other good research being done out there, too, uh, for Kerberos pre-authentication, generating that traffic and, and trying to find other things. So it's really I don't want to say an undiscovered area. I know a lot of people have looked into it, but uh, this is the kind of stuff that I love digging into, playing around with and seeing what's there. Yeah. And like you said at the beginning, right, this tonight has just been like a fraction of a fraction of your whole presentation and all the stuff that you have in your slides is pretty incredible. As I was reading through them, I kind of felt as though like I got to dig in and go deep on pretty much each slide and I got so much homework to do on each one and I, I feel like I got even more homework to do now. Um, and it was, I guess, probably a little bit unfortunate that your presentation at ThoughtCon wasn't recorded. Do you have plans to give that presentation again somewhere that might get it recorded? Uh, no immediate plans, um, but I definitely would love to give it again. Uh, I've given it internally here uh, at my company to a couple few, couple people. I've given it a few times to to just friends and meetups. Um, but yeah, the the response has been awesome on the slides. I was really happy to see that. And so if there's any conferences, I'll keep my eyes out that have open CFPs that would be interested in having a a longer two hour slot and would it be recorded? Uh, I'd love to give it again. All right, yeah, so everybody out there that has slots and looking for presentations, Ronnie's is probably one that you, you got want. got slots that need to be filled, Ronnie's Ronnie your man. Ronnie can do it. <laughs> Fill those slots, Speaking Ronnie. slots, of oh, course. Right. Yeah, that's Cause, right. Because Ronnie right. can go for two hours. <laughs> Ronnie's blog <laughs> is blog.ropnop.com, R-O-P-N-O-P, blog.ropnop.com. Ronnie, thank you so much for appearing on Paul Security Weekly. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. With that, we're going to take a short break. There's going to be a changing of people. We're going to bring on people and stuff to talk about uh, cyber exercises. So stay tuned. Sweet.